knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Sundays from today is Easter, and so before we start a new book of the Bible, I'm going to do two different teachings leading up to Easter, and my desire for both of these teachings is that they would kind of help better prepare us spiritually uh, for just preparing us for just this wonderful celebration of Easter, and then Easter service itself uh, will be a very evangelistic service that we'll have, and you know, Easter is one of my favorites, actually the favorite Christian holiday that I have personally, uh, and there's many reasons for that, and I'll share some of those you know, in these next couple of weeks as we lead up to Easter, but um, one of the big things that I love about Easter time is it's one of the few Sundays that you'll see many non-Christians come to church, or you'll see people who are Christians, but they haven't been to church for a while, also say, you know what, yeah, I'm willing to come on Easter, or I'm willing to come on Christmas, and so, you know, this pre- presents a great opportunity for us as a church. I'm sure you've invited people to church before. I'm sure you've had people reject that invitation. And, you know, I find it's interesting that, you know, in this month leading up to Easter, you know, you're going to have more people who are willing to accept an invitation to come to church, who are going to be just more open uh, to coming and and being a part of that service. And so, um, I want to present a challenge to us as a church that hopefully will better prepare us for Easter. And this challenge is going to be focused on kind of inviting people, first and foremost, who don't know Christ. That's our greatest desire. We want to see people come to know Him. As I mentioned, our Easter service will be very evangelistic. The gospel will be proclaimed very clearly for people who haven't heard it or haven't accepted it. But also for people who, you know, you know, they're believers, but they haven't been attending church for a while. And, you know, to just get them back in to a fellowship of believers and, you know, just to come to church, to be a part of it, to hear about Jesus, to hear about the resurrection, to hear about the gospel. Uh, And so, you know, I'm going to challenge you to invite family members you know, friends you know, co-workers, neighbors, um, and even people where I'll mention later that live around this daycare center uh, to come. and, And, you know, the hope is that we'll see people get saved. The hope is that we'll see lives change for eternity. The hope is that we'll see people who are already believers who aren't really walking with the Lord, who aren't connected with the fellowship, rededicate their life to the Lord, get plugged in, and grow. And so to present this challenge this morning, I want to look at four men in the book of Luke chapter 5 that are just a great example to us of bringing people to Jesus. And so the example we're going to see for them, it's a great example leading up to Easter. A great example for us of wanting to invite people, to bring people, to to want to see people get saved. And so, yes, that's going to be part of the challenge, part of the encouragement these next couple weeks that we would take that on board. 
But sometimes we, we get in, you'll say, hey, there's an outreach, or hey, there's this opportunity, or hey, let's do this, and we, we go for it, and it's great, but let's not let it stop there. You know, this is something that's a great example for us to continue to do, even once Easter's done, even when, you know, there's not the same kind of, you know, likelihood, perhaps, of someone coming, but that we would continue to do this. Uh, and so we're going to look at these guys, we're going to look at their example, and hopefully, be able to apply this to our lives. So Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 18, it says this. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went on top of the housetop and led him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. So here we have a man with a pretty big problem, a huge need. He's paralyzed. He needs healing. He needs Jesus. He needs to have Jesus touch his life to restore him back to full health. But he's got a problem. When you're paralyzed, you can't get yourself anywhere. Jesus isn't where he is. Jesus is somewhere else. He needs to be with Jesus. He needs to have Jesus touch him and heal him, but he has no capacity in and of himself to get to where Jesus is, but he has a wonderful blessing. He's got four friends who are willing to bring him to Jesus. The Gospel of Mark tells us that there are four men who put their paralyzed friend on this bed. And they make this journey to where Jesus is. He's in a house. He's teaching. They know where he is. And they want to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus for one specific purpose. They want Jesus to heal their friend. Now, this bed was most likely similar to a stretcher. You know, probably not some queen-size mattress that they're lugging around. Just a stretcher that they could all grab, you know, a corner of and, and carry their friend to where Jesus was, and they want to lay him down before Jesus so that hopefully he can be healed. You know, one of the best things that we can do for people that we know that are in need is bring them to Jesus. Because as believers, we understand something, or hopefully we understand something very important, that Jesus is the one that can meet our needs. And so that's the person that people need to be brought to. That's the one that we need to be bringing people to, because no matter what their need is, Jesus is the one who can meet it, whether it's physical like this man, we're also going to see he has a spiritual need as well that everybody has, that Jesus can meet that. And we need to recognize, you know, which half of this or a, a large portion of this world doesn't see is their greatest need, their need for forgiveness, their need for Jesus to deal with their sin, the fact that they are a sinner bound for hell. That is the greatest need that all of us have, and we need to bring people to Jesus to meet that need. Now, I want us to note four important things about these men, four important things that qualities that these guys have that make them effective in getting their friend to Jesus and bringing their friend to Jesus. Because, you know, I think these four things are important for us. If we think, you know what, I want to be that person who's effective in bringing people to Jesus, well, then these are things that we need to be able to do as well. And the first important thing these men had, and hopefully we have as well, was desire. They had a desire, which the word means a strong feeling of wanting to have something, a deep longing for something. You know, all of us have a desire for things. All of us have deep longings for things. I'm sure many of you woke up this morning with a strong longing desire for some coffee. 
You know, we have these desires for a certain thing. Last night, I had a strong longing desire to see the Auburn men basketball team win. Unfortunately, they lost by one point and got robbed at the end. But they didn't win, but I had that desire. I had that strong longing to see them be victorious. Now, sadly, I think a lot of the desires that we have are really about things that aren't so important. Like, for example, Auburn's victory or not, really, in the big scheme of things, isn't really that important in life. And it's not bad to desire things that you know, aren't necessarily that important, but do we desire things that have eternal significance? Do we desire things that are, are the, really the things that really matter in life? Do we desire, have a strong feeling and longing to bring people to Jesus? You know, that's what these four guys had for their friend. They had this desire, this longing, this strong desire to, to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus in order to meet their friend's needs so he could be healed. You know, the reality is all of us are surrounded by people with needs that only Jesus can meet. We're surrounded by people who are lost. We're surrounded by people who we need to bring to Jesus so that they can come to him for salvation. And the first thing that helps us do that is to have that desire. Because here's the bottom line. If you don't have a desire, if you don't have this strong longing for people to be brought to Jesus, the likelihood is you're not going to do it. Because most of us, typically, even as we start as kids, and all of us who have kids realize, you know what? Kids, and then even as we grow up to adults, we don't like to do things that we don't want to do. That's just the bottom line. So if you don't desire to do something, typically you don't, unless you're forced to or there's something else that's kind of making you do it. But, you know, when it comes to bringing people to Jesus, it's a choice that we make. And so if we don't have that desire to do it, then the likelihood is it's really not going to happen much for us. And so if you're here this morning and that desire isn't even there, then you need to start with prayer. Lord, give me that. Give me the desire to bring people to you. Change my heart if that's where my heart's at, that I don't even long for that, that I don't even really desire that. You know, that God, you would give me your passion, your desire for people to come to know you. It starts with that. That's kind of what drives us to these other things that we're going to see these guys do. Because if you just have desire and that's it, it's not really that helpful. You know, if all these guys said, yeah, well, we desire to bring you to Jesus, but, you know, we're in the middle of lunch. Or, you know, you know th- th- if that's all it was, with just kind of this feeling, and it stopped with that, then nothing really would have come from it. And so the second important thing these men had was dedication. Dedication is a commitment to a task that you put into action. So ultimately, dedication, it takes the desires that you have, and it commits to putting those desires into action. And desire without dedication, desire without this commitment to actually put action to it, it's just kind of worthless. It doesn't do much. It's just kind of a feeling that has no action to it. I think a great example of this is at the beginning of every year, you have people with a great desire to lose weight, desire to get in shape. They make their New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose so much weight, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to diet, I'm going to eat this horrible healthy food and stay away from the good stuff. You know, we have people who have a sincere desire for that. But what we see so often, you probably have been in that boat, I know I have, it's like, oh yeah, I would love to lose weight, I have a desire to lose weight, I have a desire to get healthier, but the dedication's not there. And that's where it separates, you know, oh yeah, I have a gym membership, I just don't go. 
I, I bought the food that, you know, rabbits eat, and it's in my refrigerator, but I don't eat it. You know, I have the, you know, whatever it is that, that I'm trying to do to get healthy, but I'm not actually dedicated enough to do it. And so we see that in practical ways that just desire alone is not going to accomplish what we desire to do. And I think when it comes to spiritual things, as Christians, we can have a desire, a sincere one, to see people be brought to Jesus, but yet we don't have the dedication, the commitment to put that into action. And so, yeah, I feel, I watch, I see lost people. Oh, I'd love for them to come to Jesus, but, but I'm not dedicated enough to actually be a part of it. I'm not dedicated enough to, to put that into action. That, that's sometimes the way in which we are. And so we need more than just the desire. We need the dedication as well. And sadly, when I look back on my Christian life, I can be honest and say I've definitely been guilty of that. Guilty, guilty of just having a desire and pretty much that's it. At points in my Christian life, seeing people that are friends, that are family, that are neighbors, and recognizing that they need Jesus, but there wasn't the dedication and commitment in me to put that into action. And so all it was was a feeling that I never really did much with. And, you know, that's not where God wants us. He wants us to have that desire, but then also the dedication to actually do something with it. So these four friends of the paralyzed man they have more than just desire. They have this dedication, and it's shown. They physically carry this man. Who knows how far to where Jesus is? They put this desire into action. And it's something that we need to do if we're going to be effective in bringing people to Jesus, to take that desire and actually do something with it. Go speak to people. Share the gospel with people. Invite people to church. And here's a practical commitment, practical challenge, a four-part challenge for us as a church, for us as individuals, that I want us to kind of really think about, especially leading up to Easter, but you know, as I mentioned before, something that we can do beyond that as, as well. The first part of the challenge is to look around. When you look around, guess what? You're going to look around, and you're going to see all sorts of people that God has placed in your life that are in two different categories. The first category is they are lost. They don't know Christ, they're unbelievers, and then you're going to have others that are in another category, they're saved, but they're not walking with the Lord right now. They're not involved in church, they're in need of fellowship. And so you'll look around your life, and I guarantee we all have many people, whether family or friends or neighbors or co-workers, you know, that we're going to see are in these two categories. And my encouragement to you is even today as you're thinking of probably some of these people, those names might be coming to your mind to write them down. I'm going to just give you a specific challenge. Three to five people that you would say, you know what, I'm going to write their name down and I'm going to be committed to actually inviting them to church for Easter. And if you want to take that challenge a step further, do what these four guys did. Be willing to pick them up. Be willing to actually bring them with you. Because you know what? That actually increases the likelihood of them coming. If you invite them, you give a flyer. We have plenty of them uh, on the foyer out there. You know, hey, yeah, they might come. But if you said, hey, you know what? I'll come at 10 o'clock or 10.15 to your house, and I'll drive you to church. And you can come with me so that you're not just showing up alone. Uh, but you know what? When you show up at their door, they might be thinking, I don't want to go to church. But then they're going to be much more likely to join you because you're there and you're going to bring them. And so you could take the challenge even farther with doing that. But there's another challenge that I want to include. Saturday, April 20th. 
which is the day before Easter. At 4.30, we're going to meet here. We're going to take some time to pray, and then there's all sorts of houses, that are, people that are right around here, people who are lost, people who don't have churches, that we're going to go around and we're going to invite them, we're going to share with them. And so if you can come for that, uh, I would love for that. The more people we have, the more houses, and the more people we'll be able to reach. Um, and then the next day is Easter. So hopefully many of them will take us up on the offer to come to church and be a part of that service. So that's the first part of the challenge. The second part of the challenge is to look up. You know, we look around, we see what God has placed in our life, but you know what? We need to pray. We need to look up and we need to be praying. And I want to encourage you, as you think of those people, they're three, they're five, maybe you've got more, you're writing them down, that you would make a commitment from now all the way to Easter every day that you would pray for them. And I'm not saying you've got to pray for hours and hours on end, but that you would lift each one of those people up in prayer. That they're not saved, that you'd be praying that God would soften their hearts, that God would prepare them for the gospel, that they would be open and receptive to it. And that we would take time to do that because the reality is, we're, this is a spiritual battle. The enemy doesn't want to lose anyone to Christ. And so, you know, we need to recognize we got to fight this in prayer. And it's a huge part of seeing people go from darkness to light. The third part of this challenge is to look out for opportunities. You know, this is the, the reality that I think when we're praying and when we're open and we're like, Lord, I want to do this. I want to connect with people. I want to invite people. I want to share the gospel with people. I'm confident that God answers those prayers and gives us opportunities. I'm confident that all of us have opportunities, but the reality is for many of us, we see them and we don't do anything with them, or perhaps maybe we don't recognize the opportunity that the Lord is placing before us, but Look, you know, make sure that you're saying, hey, hey, I, I want to look out for this. If I'm sincere and I'm saying these are the people I want to invite, I'm praying for them, Lord, give me the perfect opportunity to share with them. Share with them the gospel. Invite them to church. Whatever the Lord's leading you to do, but look for those opportunities to do it. And the fourth part of this challenge is to look forward to what God's going to do. You know, as you pray for these people, as you share with these people, you know, God's going to move in them. It's not a guarantee that they're going to accept the Lord, but I guarantee that if you're investing in people and you're sharing with people and you're praying for people, the Lord's going to move in those individuals and look forward to what God's going to do. You get excited for what the Lord's going to do. So these four men had desire. They had dedication. But you know what? Sometimes that's not enough either. The third important thing these men had was determination. Determination is a quality that makes you continue to try to do or achieve something that is difficult. It's the willingness to fight through and overcome obstacles. Because here's the reality. You can have desire, you can have dedication, but what happens when obstacles come to try to prevent you from bringing people to Jesus? What happens when things get in the way? Without this, without the determination, then typically we don't actually follow through. You know, when you look in sports, you really see the difference between good athletes and great ones based off of this right here, the determination. You see, the good athletes, yeah, they're good. But when it's tough and it's difficult and hard times come, you see a lot of them, they quit, they give up. They don't have the determination to keep fighting through no matter how hard it takes, no matter how much effort, no matter how much work they got to put into it. So you see those that we kind of, wow, they're like the amazing ones. Well, those are usually the ones that are the most dedicated, 
the ones who are giving the most of themselves in order to be victorious. I remember watching a, a Laker game a couple years ago. Kobe Bryant was playing, and he got fouled, and he actually busted, snapped his Achilles tendon. Now, most people snap their Achilles tendon. They, you know, arrive in pain and say, take me to the locker room. I'm done. He gets fouled. He needs to make two free throws or they're not going to win. So he hobbles back out on the court with a snapped Achilles tendon, makes both the free throws. They win the game. And then he goes back to the locker room. But, you know, here is a person that he was just so determined. I don't care how much pain I'm in. I'm here to win this game. And, you know, in the same way as we're trying to reach people with something so much more significant than sports, we have people's eternal souls. And it's like, yeah, I got the desire. I got the dedication. But are we determined enough that when things come to try to prevent us from doing that, that we're willing to fight through that? That we're willing to say, whatever I got to do, I'm willing to do. Because here's the reality. Satan does not want you to have any inroads on people who are lost. Satan doesn't want you to get people who are believers but not walking with the Lord back in good fellowship with God. So he is going to do everything he can to put obstacles in your way. He's going to do everything he can to stop you, to stop me from doing that. And so if we think it's just going to be super easy and there's not going to be any issues and it's just like, hey, these guys might have thought, we're just going to walk to this house and boom. Everything's going to be easy. We're just going to walk up to Jesus. He's going to heal this guy. Great. But oftentimes, there are obstacles. There are difficulties. There are things that get in the way. And the question is, are we willing to continue when that happens? Well, these guys, they got the desire. They got the dedication that enabled them to bring their friend to the house where Jesus was. But when they show up, there's a problem. There's so many people that want to hear Jesus that the house is just packed full and even coming out of the doors and it's just surrounded and there's no way to get to the middle of the house where Jesus is. There's no way. This crowd is preventing them from getting their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, I want you to notice here when they hit this barrier, they could have got discouraged. They could have, man, we carried you a long way and you're heavy. And now we don't even get to Jesus. Well, you know, I guess... We'll take you back home. You know, they could have been, you know, we've given it our best shot, but sorry. You know, maybe he'll come into our town. Maybe we'll have another opportunity. And they could have just given up and thought, there's no way we can get you to Jesus. But these guys are determined. We're not going to let this crowd stop us. We're going to figure another way to get to Jesus. We're going to get through this barrier. We're going to do what we have to do and to make sure that our friend gets to Jesus. Now, I want you to try to picture the scene here that Luke describes for us because it's a bit crazy. So here these guys are. They got this man who's paralyzed on a cot. They show up at this house. It's just surrounded with people, packed full. They can't get in. So now they have to come up with a plan of how in the world are we going to get our friend to Jesus? Maybe one of the guys looks up, throws out, hey, you know, we we could go through the roof, but, but, but should we? <laughs> hey, hey, let's do it. That sounds like a good plan. We can't get through this crowd. Let's go through the roof. Now, homes in that day looked kind of like this picture. They had flat rooftops that people would use like a deck, and typically there was a staircase that went up onto that or, or some kind of ladder so they could get up there. 
Um, you know, but they were also made typically out of either tile, uh, or if it wasn't as nice of a house, maybe wood or straw. But considering a big crowd was there, this is probably likely a bigger home and a nicer home. And so these men carry their friend up upon the roof, and they tear a hole in it. And then they lower their paralyzed friend down to where Jesus was. Now, tearing a hole in the roof would have been quite difficult. Because I'm pretty sure these guys didn't bring any tools with them. You know, as they're about to leave and they're thinking, all right, we need a checklist to make sure we got everything we need for the day. We got water? Check. Uh, We got food for this journey? Check. Uh, We got tools to rip up a roof? Check. I mean, I don't think that was in, you know, what they were thinking. They weren't expecting that they were going to have to do that. So the likelihood is they're ripping this up with their bare hands. Uh, And this would have been something that was difficult for them to do. But you know what? For them, that didn't matter. Why? Because they were determined. We're going to get through whatever obstacles in our way to bring our friend to Jesus. This was definitely very unorthodox. Uh, It wasn't a normal thing to do to go rip up someone's roof. But still, that didn't stop them. The fear of like, man, what are people going to think that we're tearing up some guy's roof? We don't care. We're going to get our friend to Jesus. And the likelihood was this is going to be costly as well. I'm sure they realize if we rip up this roof, we're going to have to pay to replace it. That's okay. We're not going to let that keep us from getting our friend to Jesus. We're determined to get through whatever we have to for this to happen. No barrier was going to stop them. And this is something that we need to realize. We got barriers like fear, fear of what people might think, fear of how people are going to respond if you give them to an invitation to church, barriers like persecution. What's going to happen? You know, we don't suffer as much from that here in the States, but man, there's a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that we have that that's a real fear. If we go and talk to people about Jesus, we invite people to church, we could be in prison, we could be beaten, we could be killed. There are things that the enemy is going to try to do to hinder us, to put barriers in front of us, to keep us from bringing people to Jesus. Definitely spiritual attacks are going to come. And once again, why it's so important to pray. I guarantee you, if you devote time to praying and inviting and trying to see people go from darkness to light, Satan's going to take notice. He's not just going to sit by and not do anything. There's going to be spiritual attacks that come against you. And his hope is that's going to keep you from continuing with that. That's going to stop you from doing this. And we need to say, you know what? No, I got the determination to go through that. I got the determination to deal with that and keep fighting no matter what Satan throws my way. And pray, because it's hard. And when you encounter some of these things, it's not so easy. It sounds nice, but then it's like, wow, this is so difficult. Pray that God will enable you to have the determination to get through the obstacles and not give up. So these guys, they lower their friend through the roof to where Jesus was. And I want you to note, now we see the response of Jesus. We've seen these guys. We've seen what they've done for their friend. They're they're desperate to get their friend to Jesus. And now we're going to see how Jesus responds as he looks up and sees this hole in the roof and this guy getting lowered down. Verse 20 through 26. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took what was, had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. So I want you to picture this. Jesus is in the middle of some teaching there in this crowded home. And I'm sure all of a sudden, maybe people start feeling some dust falling down and some debris falling down and then the noise of this roof getting ripped up. And, and probably at one point, Jesus just stops because all the attention is like, what is going on? And then this opening comes and this man on a cot is starting to be lowered down into this room. And Jesus is looking on as everyone else is as well watching this. And notice what we're told. When Jesus saw their faith. When he sees their faith, we're going to see that Jesus does something. But the thing I first want you to note is that what these four men did was visible. Their faith was something that was seen. Why? Because it was placed and put into action. You could see that they had faith that Jesus could heal this man. Because guess what? If they didn't have faith that Jesus would heal this man, that they would have never gone to the lengths that they did to rip up this roof and to lower this guy down in front of Jesus. They're not expecting to have to pull this guy back up. They think, hey, Jesus is going to heal him. We believe this. We have faith that not only Jesus has the power to do this, but that Jesus is willing to do this. These men had desire. They had dedication. They had determination. But you know what? The foundation of all three of these things is faith in Jesus. That's what kind of helped all these things to actually function. Because at the bottom line is, if they didn't actually have faith that Jesus had the ability to heal their friend and was willing to heal their friend, they wouldn't have gone through any of this. What would be the point? Why make this journey to go to the person that we don't think can do this anyway? Or even if he could, we don't think he would. They had to have faith that not only Jesus could do it, but that he was willing to do it for their paralyzed friend. And they show that faith in the fact of the, their actions. We carry our friend to the house. We rip up the roof. We lower him before Jesus because we truly believe that Jesus can meet our friend's need. One of the most important things for us to have if we're going to be effective in bringing people to Jesus is we have to have this kind of faith. Faith in the power that Jesus has. To really recognize, as I started with, you know what? Do we really believe that Jesus has the power to meet any need of the people that we know, the issues that they're going through, whether they're paralyzed, whether their marriage is in struggles, whether they're not saved, whatever it may be, do we truly believe Jesus has the power to do a miracle. Jesus has the power to change lives. Jesus has the power to take broken lives, paralyzed lives, and make them whole. Do we really believe that Jesus can forgive sins? But the next question is, you might say, well, yeah, of course I believe that he can. A lot of Christians believe that he can. But sometimes where we miss is that do we believe he's actually willing? 
oh yeah, I know God can do it, but I don't know if he would do it for me, or I don't know if he'd do it for my friend, or I don't know if he'd do it for my family, or for my neighbor, or for whatever it is. That not only we believe that he's capable, but that he's also desiring to do that. He wants to do that. Because if we don't have faith in both of those things, the likelihood of us having that desire and that dedication and that determination and going through whatever obstacles come our way to bring people to Jesus, it's just probably not going to happen. Because if we don't think at the end of the day, Jesus is going to meet that person's need, then why would we be willing to go through all that? And so we have to start off with that faith that I have faith in a God who's all-powerful, who can meet any need, but not only can he meet any need, he desires to, especially the need of saving lost souls. The Bible tells us he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so we should be confident that that is the heart of Jesus and have faith in the fact that Jesus not only is able, but he's willing. So that's what these guys have. Jesus sees it. I'm sure he's blessed by it. This paralyzed man is lowered down before Jesus. And I'm sure the crowd, and I'm sure especially these men who made this journey, who ripped up this roof, were expecting something. They're expecting Jesus to heal this man. But instead of saying you're healed, Jesus says something that I'm sure no one was expecting. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And I sometimes wonder if the guys are like, no, 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 that's not why we brought him. (laughs) Yeah, he he is a sinful guy, but he's paralyzed. We brought him here so that you could heal him. I I think you maybe missed what all this was for. We want to see him healed. Now, in this house are the religious leaders, the religious leaders that already got issues with Jesus, already starting to plot Jesus' demise. And when they hear Jesus say this statement, your sins are forgiven you, notice how they respond. They say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I think it's important to understand what these religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, what they think, the statement they're making, it's a true statement. Only God can forgive sins. Their error was in failing to see that God was right there among them in the person of Jesus. That was their issue, that they understood the truth that, yeah, only God is capable of forgiving a sin. But what they didn't realize is here is God. He's with us. That was their problem. But Jesus perceived their thoughts. So they weren't actually speaking this. <laughs> they're, they're thinking this. And Jesus knows what's going on. And notice what he says. Why are you reasoning in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? So as these religious leaders are thinking, what a blasphemer. How dare he make that claim? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus hears that, and he poses a question. What's easier for someone to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or is it easier to say, rise up and walk? That's a good question. The answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Well, because if you say your sins are forgiven... No one's going to know whether or not what you said is true. 
There's no way to validate that. There's no way to test that. You're not going to know until after you die and stand before the Lord if your sins were truly forgiven or not. And so if you make that statement, it's an easier statement because no one can turn around and say, oh, no, no, see, it's clear that that's not true, that you don't have the power to do that. But to say, rise up and walk to a paralyzed man, that's a lot harder to say. Why? Because you can test that. You can validate that. That guy doesn't get up. You're full of nonsense. That guy doesn't get up. Obviously, what you said is not true. You don't have the power. You just said, get up and walk, and he can't. So Jesus is saying, what's easier? Your sins are forgiven you. No way to test or validate that. Or rise up and walk. So as they're listening to this statement and thinking about this question, notice what Jesus goes on to tell them. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. So the Pharisees ask a good question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But they were not seeing the answer. So Jesus wants to make it real plain to them. He wants them to see. I'm God. Only God can forgive sins. And guess what? Only God can heal this paralyzed man as well. And so that you may know that who I am and the power I have to forgive sins, I'm going to demonstrate it in the supernatural power to heal this man. So he tells this man, rise up and walk. And this man's healed. Takes up his bed, rises up and walks. Jesus is able to do the miraculous physically, but he's saying that's proof of my ability also to do the miraculous spiritually to actually deal with this man's sin. You see, this is the reason ultimately that Jesus came to this earth. It was great that he did so many miracles that helped people's physical ailments and physical struggles, but if that was it, then all they would do would live a life a little bit better, die, and still go to hell. He came for something more than just physical healing. He came for a supernatural healing for eternity. He came to bring salvation, to deal with our sin. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that, through, but that the world through him might be saved. Yeah, this is the verse that we quote so much, but it's just such a wonderful truth of God's love for us brought him to a place where he says, I'm going to send my only son to die and deal with your sin, to pay the price that you should pay, that you deserve, you've committed it, but he's going to take it on himself. Why? So that you could be saved. So that you don't have to perish in hell, but you could have everlasting life in heaven. You know, the paralyzed man, he had a big physical need. That's what his friends saw. But he also had something that was even bigger than that. He had a spiritual need far greater than his physical need. And notice the first thing that Jesus deals with is a spiritual need. The one that probably many of them weren't even seeing, weren't even focusing on. Yeah, he's physically paralyzed, and that's horrible, but something far worse is his sins are yet to be forgiven. So Jesus, he meets both those needs. 
That's the great thing about our Lord. It's not just, well, he only is going to meet your spiritual needs. Sorry if you've got practical needs. Sorry if you've got issues in relationships. Sorry if you're physically unwell. <laughs> he's not going to do anything for those things. Only the spiritual stuff is all he's going to take care of. The great thing about our Lord is that he cares about both. And he's capable of meeting both. And he meets both of the needs with this man. But the greatest need that anyone has is for Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Max Lucado wrote this, If our greatest need had been for information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. Forgiveness is mankind's greatest need, but it's also God's greatest gift. This lost world is in desperate need of it. And the Lord has called each one of us as followers of him to go into this world, to preach the gospel, to reach these people who need to hear what Jesus has done for them. And so my challenge to us as a church is this fourfold challenge. First, look around. Look around at the people God has placed in your life. Choose some of them. Invite them to church. I would say take it a step further. As the opportunities arrive, share the gospel with them. But even if you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Hey, I'm going to be sharing the gospel on Easter. Invite them to church. If you're able, come Saturday, April 20th, here at 430. Go around to the subdivision. Invite people. Let's see the Lord do a work in this area. Second, look up and pray every day between now and Easter for the people that you put on your list. Third, look for opportunities that God would give for you to do this. And then fourth, look forward to what God's going to do. But the reality is, if we're going to be effective, we need to do the four things that these men did. We first need a desire to bring these people to Jesus. We need the dedication to put that desire into action. We need the determination to overcome and fight through whatever Satan throws our way, whatever barriers come against us, and we need the faith that Jesus has the power and is willing to meet the needs of these people that we're bringing to him.